0: Hi, and welcome to the Well of Eight Life podcast. My name is Irina.
1: And I'm Dr. Nas. And we're your hosts for the podcast. With this podcast, we'll be cutting through all the noise and bad information by having conversations with leading thinkers, cultural changes, and industry disruptors about shifting old paradigms and starting new conversations.
0: Side by side, we'll be covering the topics that matter the most from tried and tested ancestral practices to the best modern health hacks. We want to inspire you to elevate your mind, body, and soul to become the best version of you. Welcome back to Well Life Live Podcasts. I'm Irina, your co host, and joining me very soon will be Dr. Nas, who co hosts the Well Life Live Podcast. Every two weeks, we bring you an exciting episode, and today, is um, someone I've known since 2006 but before I introduce her um, she reminds me of this wonderful quote I read a few years ago and the quote goes like this our wounds are often the openings into the best and most beautiful part of us what is that right we ask ourselves well we're chatting today with a bright witty sensitive attractive woman I've known her since 2006 She used to come on to my radio shows when I was a radio broadcaster as a weekly guest where we would talk about mental well-being. She's the only clinical health psychologist in the United Arab Emirates. Dr. Melanie Schlater trained in the psychology of health, disease, and treatment processes. She has postgraduate qualification in psychology, pharmacology, and rehabilitation, doctoral research in the psychoneuroimmunology of breast cancer. She helps to run psychosocial support groups for cancer patients, has past university teaching experience, as well as publications in several leading international journals. In this episode, we've dived deep into the mind to know more about our Today's guest on Wellevate Life is someone I've known for a very long time. How long? Well, I was trying to remember when I met her. And the only way I could come up with an answer was to remember who was I dating at that time. And voila, it was I think around 22 years ago, my boyfriend at that time was seeing a shrink. That's the first time I ever came across that word Shrink. I researched it and don't forget, Google was not known that time. The definition I found was, here it comes. Shrink is shortening of ha- head shrinker, referring to Amazonian tribes who preserve and shrink the heads of their enemies. <laughs> I'm sure very soon we will explore that on Well Life with an Amazonian Shama as our guest. But in a more positive light, In modern times, psychologists are known to shrink problems to make them more understandable to patients. So that's why they're called shrinks. And on that note, let's welcome my friend and our guest today, health psychologist, Dr. Melanie. Hello, Doc. Hello,
2: how are you? So lovely to be here and thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, that that was quite an intro. you know, and I think it's been what? I think twenty-two years, Dr. Melanie, or was it more? Ho-
2: hopefully, a bit less than that. Actually, uh, <laughs> we used thoroughly. to do this.
0: Yeah, we used to do this regular weekly slot on my radio show. Uh, I think it was every Wednesday. Do you remember what it was called? I don't even remember. <laughs> Gosh, no, I should. I know, and and, but I and don't. then. Well, let's keep going back in time. Let's talk about your journey. You know, teenage Melanie, went to mommy Melanie, um, this all famous, popular Dr. Melanie. Tell us all about it.
2: Oh, gosh. So you want me to lie down on the couch and start telling you about my childhood? Oh, no, no, (laughs) no. We're swapping roles here. It's your (laughs) turn now. (laughs) Gosh. I mean, honestly, if I think about just the role of psychology, I mean, it goes back that that um, it was actually a relative talking about psychology and you know telling me all about it and what people do. and I was sort of thinking, wow, that sounds so exciting and so interesting. And people get to talk to people all day for a living, like what could be better than that? And I was always interested in health and well-being and obviously how the mind worked and you know how people think. Um, so already from school I was starting to get into it and um, and then obviously started taking subjects in university to, to go on and be a psychologist. Um, so a lot of my subjects were around sort of science subjects and you know the human body and obviously the mind and then later on I was you know I got into specialized subjects doing things like sort of pharmacology and toxicology and learning about various treatments Um, so went right on through to doctoral level where I worked with breast cancer patients and was studying the immune system and obviously these women's responses to being diagnosed with cancer and we actually followed them for two years following their, you know, their psychological responses, how they adapted to the various treatments and, and coping processes, um, as well as monitoring their immune systems at the same time. And subsequently, I left, um, I was in New Zealand during that time, and I left New Zealand and various reasons came to Dubai, where I saw a real lack of uh, psychological support services in the community. Um, and I feel like... When people ask me to give a bio or something, I just keep on saying the same thing for all of these years now, like you say, nearly sort of two decades, saying, I came here to support people, I've come here to support people. And, you know, for such a long time, um, you know, those services weren't available. And certainly, um, I think I'm still the only health psychologist here, so actually predominantly trained and focusing in in health. Um, And, you know, I've worked for a long time, obviously, with, with cancer patients as a result, and... And I'm now in in the hospital, so so directly on the floor on the oncology floor. Um, so it's probably the quickest summary I could give you, but still very much um, I think psychology for a long time in Dubai was in its infancy. You know there weren't a lot of people here, um, just a very, very few select organisations, and it, it certainly exploded. I think um, probably about two thousand. 12 2014 really took off and um subsequently we have a lot of people helping but not necessarily in health and of course psychologists range from you know you can meet people for addiction work you know if you want to go into your background if you have learning issues behavioral issues um marital issues there are so many different types of psychologists but my particular focus is on health
0: i think that's where um my question would be from my own understanding and i'm sure a lot of listeners would also like to know there's a psychiatrist the counselor the psychotherapist uh you know you have the nutritional holistic and traditional psychology there's just so many different schools like you said behavioral psychology occupational psychology also um, health I mean, <laughs>
1: coaches health coaches life coaches.
0: exactly they're, they're also exactly and so dr milani shed some light on how do, we, how do we choose who to go to and how do we know the difference?
2: Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. Normally, um, we would recommend people to see a psychologist or, or a psychiatrist um, when they're really struggling with a particular uh, situation. So any, any kind of sort of stress or anxiety, depression, panic, uh, clinical conditions that have enough distress to to impact their quality of life. And normally that would, you know, in some cases require medication if it feels too difficult for them. So I might, for instance, see some people where I know that whatever work I try to do with them or whatever talk therapy as such, you know, and and structured and guided guided that we try to do, um, it's just too much for them. So we might offer sort of medication at that time. And it's psychiatrists who prescribe medication. I don't prescribe medication. I work with things like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is helping people to modify unhelpful uh, and irrational thoughts. And I'm working a lot now with acceptance and commitment therapy, which is, they call it just sort of a third wave therapy. Um, and that means accepting, although you know, I'm a little bit averse to the word accepting, but being open to difficult thoughts and feelings and acceptance and commitment therapy committing to the life that you do want despite those feelings being there so um, also very much like compassion focused therapy because as I've learned and and, and sort of been trained over the years um, I've learned that it's not so much about getting rid of negative emotions and unhelpful emotions you know people just say I don't want to think about this and I don't want to have this and I don't want to feel this way and it's just so black and white whereas I try to incorporate like but this is the situation and we can't avoid it. And is kind of like the lion in the room. And at least let's try to turn it into a kitten. Let's make your, you know, help you with your responses to that stressor. And some people can fly with that very easily. Other people still struggle, in which case they might need say, a little bit of help with medication or something. Um, In terms of, you know, the various coaches and things out there, they, you know, they can have a tremendous benefit for looking forwards, um, you know, when people are actually quite, quite stable, quite functional, but just need more. Maybe they need a bit more motivation or they need a certain area of their life they want to address and focus on, maybe a change of careers or, um, you know, some people are even doing work with marriages and that, but we're more on the clinical side. Um, Psychotherapy, there are different forms of sort of psychologists, but I mean, they might spend a lot of time going back into past issues. I'm personally very much about the here and now, if I can help someone respond in the here and now with the struggle, we know that they can probably use those same tools
0: for a lot of stuff that comes up in their mind from the past too. So Dr. Melanie, you know, you you touched upon how uh, people need to be more honest with what they're going through, but then you keep reading these uh, fantastic books by great authors or, you know, you have neuroscientists talk about words impacting our brains. So if you think positive and you say, say you're having a tough day and you say, I'm, I'm doing great, it will make it better. So sometimes I think that becomes so confusing. What do you follow? Should I be honest? If I am having a terrible day, say it, or to make it brighter, can I call it psych myself to doing it? Uh, you know, do you, do you work with things of words therapy on a daily basis?
2: with people yes because of course you know you're listening so intently to what people are saying and and how they're how they're speaking and often I'll stop someone and say have you heard what you've just said and it will be something really kind of doom and gloom or they're really putting themselves down you know when obviously they've maybe been really trying to overcome something so constantly you're listening to people but I think there is a lot of the you know the toxic positivity out there and I think your subconscious is far more clever than that it knows when you're not feeling great and if you try to sort of lie to yourself there's that disconnect there isn't there um and I'm all about let's at least try and know what you're going through you know let's try and label it and some people honestly they need they need help with that um emotional literacy you know people sound so anxious and then you'll find out they're just frustrated or they're angry so even correcting people on sort of the terminology of what they could be going through what they're feeling and getting them to identify it but not allowing that response to overwhelm them and at least teaching them that you know if it's starting to get overwhelming giving them tools to to manage that so it's okay let that be there if you have a bit of sadness if you have some distress it's you know a lot of the times it's actually completely normal in the situations that people present to me with you know especially if they're they're going through cancer or something they'll they'll say oh I think you know I'm going crazy I'm going mad or I'm so stressed all the time and it's like well of course you are you know you're going through so much like it's like the lion is in the room the whole time and that's what your brain is interpreting but let's let's work with it just kind of think about it in different ways and let's address it let's here are some things you can do if you feel sad or you know what do you want to stand for at those times what's important to you to do just this morning or just this afternoon if you're having those emotions because I think traditionally we feel if I'm sad or I'm upset or I'm angry, that's it. Day's gone. It's ruined. And we just feed into the labels that we've told ourselves for years. And I'm like, you know, crap this and a, and a bad that and, a, and what other, you know, words we use for ourselves, which are derogatory. And we all do it. Um, but it's trying to turn down the volume on, on that. So I'm not definitely not about this sort of positivity train as such. Um, I'm much more about being realistic and, and looking at the situation. For what it is, but also educating people a lot on how the brain can interpret uh, the threats. And again, if I, if I refer to the oncology again, um, you know, it's not just the diagnosis that's terrifying for people, it's everything that keeps coming after it as well, you know, and goes on for years. I mean, it's, the, it's waiting for results, it's going through treatments, it's having the body changes, so that's continual like micro shocks all the time to the body. Um, and, and the mind. So, you, you know, you're so normal that you, you know, and that you couldn't help but be affected by that. So let's try to manage it. Let's try to kind of work with it.
1: So where, where, when, 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 you, I was just, when you think of a clinical psychologist, as we sort of mentioned earlier on, but people naturally would think of dealing with anxiety, depression, bereavement, trauma, relationship issues. I know they're not all mutually exclusive. There's a lot of overlap. Um, and as you mentioned, a lot of your work is, well, most of your work, if not all of it, is focused on uh, psychology and health. Is it a lot of the same techniques kind of repackaged or is the is the patient journey different in terms of how, how you're dealing with them in terms of A, yeah, the techniques you're using, but also how, how you're following up and the, the frequency? What, what, what does it look like? Because it, I, I guess the fact that, sounds like you're the only person here doing that to this day most people won't really have an insight into what that journey looks like
2: right and I think you know of course there are a lot of people out there doing cognitive therapy and and, you know the act-based therapy the acceptance and commitment therapy but you know for myself I think Definitely, there are aspects of the models that you keep on using because they're so helpful to people and, and, you know, helping them understand what's going on for them. But obviously, people are at completely different stages and have completely different abilities to to understand that information or to implement it, um, even to learn it. So I think sometimes, like I say, if one person, you may not be able to jump into a technique because they need the emotional literacy first or some people really need literally need to talk and just express their emotions first. So there's no way I could come along and say, well, great, you need this exercise now, you know, because you'd just be sealing the can on it as such, it wouldn't be very helpful. So you really have to, um, you have to obviously sort of adapt to where the person's at, but eventually they may cover a lot that someone else has covered as well. So yes, you're certainly drawing upon things, but I think the, the timing's crucial, it's the when. Um, everybody is not the same sort of at the first session apart from that that general screening about you know whether in terms of as I say sort of the distress or anxiety depression but um, how you adapt it really depends on you know what the person's going through and and what they need too I'm all about saying to someone what what do you need what do you think you know would be helpful to you because it's it's no use me sitting there and making judgments and saying well I think you know we should start here and um
0: yeah, so uh, Dr. Melanie here, I, I would love to step in, call me the guinea pig here, um, but uh, being diagnosed with breast cancer around, I think it was six or seven years ago, I've even forgotten. Um, around a few years ago, Dr. Huria, which we both know, we all know, um, mm-hmm. um, she said it's, you need to go to a psychologist. And that kind of pretty much shock, you know, shocked me. I've never had anyone say that. And I asked her why. She goes, because you've had no fear and I'm concerned. So it was very, it's very difficult for me to explain to people that I had no fear and I still have no fear. Um, Because the minute people are diagnosed or somebody hears someone has cancer, fear is the first thing I guess that's what kicks in. So that's been... um, quite difficult for me to even explain to my own doctor. And I guess your work as a psychoneuroimmunologist, you know, and running support groups, I would love, and I'm going to put hopefully my camera on here. Do you see me? Okay. I would love to be your patient. Um, Walk me through if I would come to you for the first time, Dr. Melanie, what would I go through? And would you have already told me about the fear? Do you think, or are we starting um, you, at the I think <laughs> if you ask me, I think it's one of those things, what happens during the session? So I'm not on that couch, but I can close mm. my eyes and pretend to be on the couch that we see in the movies. How, how do you, you don't know me, I don't know you, how do I open up to you? What? Why would I tell you yeah. anything about myself? To be honest, you know, why? Yes, yes. So I, I'm there for, I guess, the reason is I need help. What happens? What happens in that room, the mystery room?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And assuming I didn't know sort of details of the referral and I was meeting you, obviously, there'd be that sort of introducing myself and and telling you a little bit about myself. And then, honestly, I open up the floor and I say, tell me why you're here. And that would be when you say, well, I was told to come here, but I don't really think I need to be here and whatever. you know. But honestly, I would be thinking it's great that you've shown up in the first place, right? Like there must be a part of you that's intrigued about the process or perhaps wants, wants to know something. Um, I guess it's expensive, I'm curious, right? People yeah. don't come in and spend this much money. <laughs> I don't want to talk
0: about No, agreed. I'm curious why, you know, sometimes, I wouldn't say you doubt yourself, but sometimes you wonder if eight out of 10 people are doing that, is there something mm. wrong with me? You know, sometimes, yes, a couple of times that question has come up. Why don't I have fear? I can't answer it. I just don't. It's very simple for me. You do or you don't, you know, Um, self-responsibility has been a huge role and I believe um, that's what every doctor now, uh, they're part of being in a therapy. And I'm sure Dr. Nas, um, um, you know, you also, when you have your patients, you talk about self-responsibility and self-care. So there's only that much one can do in that one hour, but you go home, the 23 hours are yours. You might have mm-hmm. a session once, once a week. So I, I've always been the self-responsible person. So it's, it's call it, it's my problem. I know how to deal with it. Why, how would a stranger be able to deal with my problem or, what, what, what can one one do to help me? Where do but I the, need the help? Sometimes to identify, where do you need the help? You know? But
2: also, you have to be willing to accept help. And if you genuinely sure. believe that you're okay, there's nothing I can do about that. I'd say, great. on Session your bike, No problem. I'm, <laughs> I'm here if you want me. But, you know, and look, of course, we're all human. You can always find something. We could always dig around in the past. We could whatever. I could, you know, I would check your coping strategies and things like that. But but honestly, truly, it's, it's like they have a, um, reminds me, there's kind of a joke, you know, about the psychologist's and the light bulb. Have you heard that one about how, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Nope. And I say only one, but the light bulb has to want to change.
0: Or <laughs> <laughs> be busted. Yes.
2: Right. And it just kind of reminds me of that, that, you know, if, you know, you, you're allowed to be intrigued and not quite know. And Honestly, so many people will sort of say, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to do. And, and I normally open up the floor and let them talk as I say. So, um, okay. So talk
0: (laughs) me through, let's, let's spend a few minutes here. I am. I'm open to it. I'm curious. Let's, let's talk.
2: Yeah. And so, and I'd say, so what, what brought you, if you, you know that you're, you're pretty functional, you're pretty good, you're getting through life, you're, you're okay, you're independent. You're doing the things that are important to you. Is there anything else that goes on that, that worries you?
0: No. No. My menopause In- is worrying me at the moment. Nothing to do with cancer. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm trying to figure this one out. <laughs> right. so, yeah. so I have a question. Yeah. All right. So here it is, a link to cancer. The things that I go through, I sometimes wonder. Um, is it because of cancer I'm having this or is this the true menopause symptoms? Because you read and you read and you read and then you ask people and everyone has a different experience. So mm. I guess that's my only wonder phase that I would be in,
2: you yeah. know? But it's not causing distress or stress or
0: and it might possibly causing... be
2: keeping you awake at night. But
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, actually the night is okay. It is causing digestive problems. Yeah. You know, and I was talking to Dr. Nass about this. Sometimes you wonder, I don't know how to explain this also. Feet get cold and your stomach goes crazy. And then how am I supposed to explain this to anybody? I can't even um, understand it myself. So I think with me, Dr. Melanie, is I need to understand it myself first before I can go out there and put logic to it. it, There has to be some logic.
2: (laughs) But does it bother you at an emotional level? Because normally I'm for getting getting all the checks, getting everything verified first by the the medical. I think
0: without, yeah, bringing the four-letter words as much as I would love to use the F word here many times is um, I wouldn't say emotional. It's just, it's frustrating. That's an F word, a longer one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's frustrating not knowing uh, why, how, when, and what can I do. It is frustrating. Um, And because pretty much,
1: I know what to do, you know? but, but, but do you, do you find that, I mean, just knowing you, do you find that because of your, the background and what you've been through that you spend a lot more time being preoccupied by it and focusing on it? Or do you think that, and I think I know the answer to this, if you hadn't have been through the cancer, you'd be responding the same way.
0: Um, I think there's a slight pressure I put on myself, and that I've always done is, um, you know, you put your fa- this facade in front of the world that you're fine. Sometimes, sometimes, just it's got nothing to do with cancer. And then everyone perceives you as to, you know, be this this strong woman, and you know it all, and you, and especially when you are in the wellness and health, um, you know, uh, space. It's a bit difficult to say I'm unwell. <laughs> I don't know, Dr. Nathan, you face that or Dr. Melvin? No, no, it's very do. true.
1: It's very true. Yeah. And, and, and I was going to ask you, I was going to interject there, um, but you led me into it. Um, the fact that you've gone for a more uh, non traditional route to your treatment, do you feel that that gives you an added pressure to portray yourself as well? And just giving my perspective, yes, I mean, maybe not with the beard, but. People will, people will often say to me, my, my patients, you know, oh, you know, you look fit, you know, you look well, you look like you eat well, you fast. Um, that may be the perception, but in, internally, I don't feel great. Uh, you know, my sleep could be a lot better. I have a lot of stress. I don't always eat well and I'm not training as much as I'd like to. But you almost feel like, well, if you're presenting that product to people that you should live what you're you're preaching and what you're you're practicing is it is it similar for you
0: it's it's spot on dr diaz i think somewhere i feel that i've also got to prove it to everyone who thought my woo woo medicine is not going to work right but again i have never thought of cancer i've always thought of my immunity right so everything i'm doing is for my immunity not cancer so yes when i have those tough days i do hide because you know, they'll say, aha, see, that woo-woo alternative medicine didn't work. Aha, the aha moment comes. And I hear that. I mean, I've heard people tell me that, you know, who was the Apple guy again? I'm so sorry. What's his name?
1: Steve Jobs. Steve
0: Jobs. Steve Jobs. Sorry, so sorry. That's so silly, right? That Jobs died because he, he took alternative medicine. So Dr. Melanie, step in here because, you know, um, and what do you, how do you respond to someone? You, you, you just smile and go, wow. How do you respond on those things? That's pressure sometimes. Trying to explain to people, you know, that is pressure. But then again, I don't need to because until you don't have faith, be it chemo or be it whichever, you know, vitamin C. If you don't have faith, it won't work. It just won't. This is
2: the thing, and you you believe in it so much, but it's also being able to step back and allow yourself those days where you're just human too, and your immune system may not be completely perfect for one day, and you may feel a bit whatever it is, you know, and that would be okay, and I think that's what you, you know, you would have to reconcile in your mind, because there is a lot of kind of control there, about what you've done, you've really thought about things, everything's been very calculated, very,
0: Uh, in a way, in a way, but then again, Dr. Melanie, let me, let me put this question out to you, Uh, you know, there's a saying, every psychologist has a psychologist, you know? um, and purely because, and Dr. Naz, this goes out to you too, uh, the pressure of the patients you both take, you know, um, it's not filtering, but how do you not, A, carry those emotions on and, and then take that, call it a, if I'm using it the right word, a burden. B, um, if it's a situation which you have also been through a similar situation, how do you, how do you de-link yourself or not make it personal? How does it work how's that because i want to learn that
1: i'll I'll let dr melanie go first
0: (laughs) Yeah, i'm thinking the
2: same with you because i i think it's um over the years you know you you end up hearing sort of so much from people and it, it almost feels that you can you you develop the ability to be with someone in that hour and then you can You can almost compartmentalize because and also because of the nature of the job is that you have to you have to be kind of fresh and clear to see the next person. Almost you do like a mini grounding and you have to go to the next person. And but what I've found a lot more challenging, you know, at the hospital is seeing a lot more people who who are terminal. And so they're not people who are, you know, coming to their session and it's voluntary and things like this. And they're that's definitely people that that I would struggle with, to be honest. And I still can't say I have solution for it I do think it's very important to talk to you know staff and 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 talk about how they're feeling and everybody and so for that reason I'd say sort of emotional expression within a obviously that sort of confidential environment um is important um, but actually in terms of sort of how you know what you could learn I'm not sure I think it sort of depends on the person too and maybe their background um, you know some people can really handle things others can't they just say I just. Couldn't do what you do at all. They just sort of know their limits. I'm quite comfortable by someone who's dying. That's not a problem, but it's 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 kind of processing it, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think yeah, you use the word compartmentalizing. I think you just have to be able to do it. And surprisingly, I mean, I, I get more upset about people who maybe are unhappy with the service, whether that be me personally or as a as a clinic, rather rather than getting emotionally tied up in the sort of medical problems and, and, and management mm. um, but I, the one thing I wanted to know Dr Melanie was that I know that and this touches on what we were speaking about before that my health isn't optimal which being in a kind of longevity wellness anti-aging field people would find very surprising but A lot of that is because whilst I may, I think I have very good insight and I'm quite grounded. I I don't actively do a lot of that kind of self coaching or or mind work. Is that something that happens with you? Does it A, happen? B, is it subconscious? B, C, are you proactive about taking care of your health from a mental perspective?
2: Yeah, um, I think I'd like to say the, the psychological side's covered. It's probably my, my physical side that could do, do a lot more. And I, I suppose, again, we go back to we're human. You know, we, we struggle like everybody else sometimes to get out, to do things, to kind of live what we preach. Um, I, I'll make daily effort to do, to do things to keep up with sort of the psychological side of things and sort of grounding and even learning to take, take little breaks when I'm extremely busy, even if it's like one minute to like breathe or look around or do senses or things like this, or take a sip of water, that kind of thing. But that's um, what kind of eats away at you sometimes is, yeah, I'll sort of think, okay, I'm a health psychologist. I really should, should be doing more. I always think of my physical health, to be honest. Um, and the problem is I suppose it gets into your identity because I would sort of ask you then why, like do you see it as a problem and, and why are you then not doing things that might make you feel better about yourself why would you not do those things
1: yeah i think i think i suppose from my perspective uh, it's that classic i suppose living for the future uh, so you know there's a there's a carrot whatever that carrot may be or a place you you you're you're aiming for in x amount of time whether that be days months or years and not living in the, in the moment and, and putting things on hold i, th- I think that's For me, that's my personal scenario, and I I know that, and I tell even my patients not to live like that. But for some reason, there there is a block, and there are uh, you know priorities, and it's I, I don't know. It's it's about I guess you've got to work on shifting priorities, but unfortunately, unless there's something that is interfering to a certain I guess threshold in your life, you you almost kind of either I don't think block it out, but just deal with it and your priorities just won't shift until something, I don't know, dramatic or something takes over to really give you a sort of red flag or a warning sign that you need to address things. I mean, that, that's certainly what I also see with my clients. I mean, you'll see a lot of people who will never do health testing, um, but they'll just get to a threshold, whether it be a psychological state, a level of sleep, sleep deprivation, a certain body mm-hmm. composition where they think, no, I've got to really address this now.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you too, I mean why would you wait for a red flag or what what do you think is in the way of you doing that certain something today for instance? Uh,
1: I, I think it's um, it's probably that so su- not so I don't want to call it survival mode because I don't I'm not in a kind of fight or flight but it's it's you're definitely focusing on a, a core set of objectives and everything else just gets. Brushed aside, and I suppose the more and more people say to me, "Oh, you look, you look fine, you look good," mm. and you know, the fact that maybe I'm I'm able to maintain a certain body composition, I have a certain level of energy, uh, it, it doesn't get that priority.
2: So you can get away with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is ultimately.
2: Yeah, yeah, I but think, are you comfortable um, with that? That's the thing. Are you? Because it feels, Um, you know, that whole sort of, as I say, like that sort of getting away with it doesn't feel authentic or kind of honest, does it?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, uh, you know, Irina will will tell you, I mean, I'll I'll often complain, you know, she'll always ask, she makes a point of asking, you know, how are you? And uh, it's interesting because I think up until maybe two or three years ago, uh, I could sleep whatever hours and I would always have energy and if it got to 9 p.m., I would still have the same level of energy I had in, in, first thing in the morning. But I really do feel that age, whether it's age or something else, has kicked in and it's really sort of hit me. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is that will make me start to sort of focus on that more. I, I, I will put in steps in place and, and try and attempt something Class, this is classic, isn't it? You'll, you'll do something for a few days or weeks and then you, you get distracted again. So it's just about recognising and then maintaining that balance somehow.
2: And bringing in, though, meaning. You know, it's got to be important. You've got to recognise what the why you should do it. You know, maybe we all, all know, you know, do the 10,000 steps or whatever it is, you know, and keeping active, but it's the why and linking it to a value.
0: Um, I'd some love people to add say, on. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Manly, I'd love to add on something here. Um, knowing Dr. Nas, you know, uh, he's a very, you both are caregivers, you know, and I think we forget as patients that you are also human. That's, it's very clear, you know, so we load on and and uh, our emotions are out there and doctors are, uh, are in a way gods, you know, for patients. Um, and I think this is where, um, that's why I, I make it a point to ask Dr. Nass, or especially doctors or caregivers in this industry, how they are, it's very important because that's where I believe the switch needs to take place too. Uh, you know, what about you? <laughs> you again, we're loading off, so, and Dr. Nas, I, I've known him, he's a very giving person. Um, no does not come in his, vocabulary it's 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 and and i've learned over the year and i think this is a conversation we've had with many people no is a beautiful word it should not be taken negatively it's okay to say no thank you a to yourself we burden ourselves i believe uh we need to be in that place all the time if someone's doing it we need to be there but Sometimes I've asked that question: Why am I on that rat? Why why am I running towards that direction? So I think the switch happens when personally with me is you ask: Does it matter? And 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 sometimes it helps to ask that question: Does that matter? And it doesn't. Does it matter a comment given? Does it matter? You know, it doesn't matter. And that's where I believe I've started decluttering. Call it you know in many ways. And with Doctor Nas, bless him, honestly. Um, he doesn't say no, um, you know, and, and and this is where I believe that word no needs to get out there. It's OK to say no. Everything is a yes. Yes, it's OK. Social pressure, cultural pressure. Yes, yes, yes. But it's OK to be, no, you know, no. Well, uh, right.
1: and I, and I think it's compounded here as well. Living as an expatriate here, <laughs> uh, so much is in, uh, tied to, for example, you know, the the success of your work or your business mm. and being employed and the downside of that not continuing to be a success, whatever it may be, is quite significant. I mean, the long, particularly the longer you're out of your home country, just uh, faced with the, you know, or, or adding in, you know, children who are a, a school level age. I mean, I, I, I'm seeing it day in, day out. And I'm sure Dr. Melanie does, that. Uh, you know, people losing their jobs or circumstances change. And this is just a a breakdown of every aspect of your lifestyle. I mean, there's a lot of life events that potentially would all come in one go, which I I think is definitely a subconscious uh, thing for, uh, well, everyone here is an expatriate.
2: And going back to what you said, you said about that, that there's a fear there too. You want to provide a certain service and you want to gel with people and you want to please people and you want to help people and heal people and, and I think, as you say, there's a fear that if people were not happy or they were unsatisfied, I mean, you know, you can take that really personally. Um, and I think we, you know, just naturally we will we'll be more likely to go the extra mile to help people because it's like that's just part of the package. But I do think, and I'm still learning after all of these years, is to, to gradually sort of be able to, to try and contain things a bit more and not be like so available and not be... 24-7 and not replying with massive emails to people and massive you know, text messages and long audios and all these things that I thought would heal everyone because it you know it won't it won't stop mm. <clears throat> you know and that's where you have to sort of say it's it's fine but if it's starting to impact sort of your own life you know I'd be kind of like leaving my son downstairs I'd dash upstairs do a quickie you know run back downstairs or something like this or and it's like, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I know I'm home. I've, I've got to be with him. Like it's yeah. and it was starting to sort of eat at me, and I was starting to feel guilty, and then that was impacting me. So it's also sort of seeing the ramifications of how beneficial it is to be that kind of yes person, and, and as you say, to sort of learn sometimes to say no, or you know what, I definitely want to help you, but. I'll get back to you tomorrow when I'm back, back at the clinic or something like mm. that. Now There's Just small boundaries where you can actually learn that I'm also important here.
0: Mm. Um, Dr. Melanie, as a, a health psychologist, um, you do have an association with nutrition and working with nutritionists and dietitians, correct? Yeah, yeah. And so how does that work? Because you're looking at the overall health, I guess the body, mind, spirit, um, and is this something you've also had to be trained in, um, you know, in terms of food and uh, lifestyle, or do you bring in other people here to help? The patient? Um,
2: yes. I mean, we, we have, you know, dietitians here and I I know my limits. I wouldn't even try to start getting into that kind of area, but I'll always ask people about their sleep, you know, what a typical day is like and what they eat during the day and know and a lot of people will say to you yeah yeah i'm okay i'm okay i'm healthy you know and then you'll find there are a couple of red bulls and coffees kind of tacked onto that yeah everything's okay kind of comment and so i definitely always break it down um but you know in terms of helping people especially if they're going through treatments and things like that i think they need correct advice and i wouldn't even try to sort of step into that territory so we openly refer here and actually uh, we try to sort of incorporate that as part of the service you know again you know you see your oncologist or you see your you know your breast care nurse you see the dietician you see the psychologist we're just trying to make it like very very casual it's just something that everybody does it's sort of part of it um, but I, you know I think it's vital I think it's important to obviously to nourish yourself and to eat the right foods um, and to, to eat enough that obviously sort of your blood sugar levels are okay because a lot of people when they're stressed Poof, they don't eat at all and they'll come and see me at two o'clock and I'll say what have you eaten today and they're like yeah well and I can't believe it you know they've eaten nothing or they've had no water or something you know sometimes just the basics so you can you can do a little bit of a screening but um, I'd always send them off to someone to to get the appropriate nutrition because you know the gut health health is so important in terms of immunity and obviously stress and the, the gut and the immune link um it's definitely there and I, I don't know if people always recognize that
1: yeah, I, I agree. I think I think there's multiple mechanisms, but immune system dysregulation for sure is, is probably the biggest part of it. Um, unless it's, a, you know, the small uh, number of cases where there is a genuine sort of genetics predisp- predisposition. Um, but, but ultimately I think what you're asking is, I mean, or, or certainly my, my approach with patients is to just what, what can we do to optimize the resilience of the immune system and where possible, uh, selectively uh, target the immune system, uh, the cancer cells with the the immune system. So, I mean, th- that's where a lot of the therapies like the nutrition. And we we did a podcast uh, with Dr. Lee, who's very big on nutrition and cancer uh, and who very eloquently sort of discussed the types of food which have anti-cancer effects. Uh, that's where, you know, we've spoken numerous times about fasting, in particular, prolonged fasting, particularly also it with chemotherapy and optimising the body with chemotherapy and treatment. Um, and, and you're very well versed in, in the vitamin C infusions and how vitamin C in high doses is selectively toxic, cytotoxic to the cancer cells. So that's my approach. Um, in terms of going really deep into the science on the, the various immunological factors, I wouldn't be able to give you that sort of uh, level of detail. but. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear Dr. Melanie's sort of insights, given that you're working so closely.
2: Well, I suppose I see the psychological ramifications of being unwell, and and you know, they're obviously when they're unwell, their immune system isn't working, um, as you say, it's sort of as it should. So, you know, my my approach is, you know, what can we help to sort of calm down within your your nervous system, you know, to help um you know in terms of we say that sort of that gut connection that mind you know to to alleviate that stress and that depression you know the stress and the stress you know that that continual um that load that's on the system when it's in that chronic stress that kind of fight or flight the whole time and you know obviously effects of chronic stress are well known on the immune system so we say we try to do anything from that emotional and psychological level to at least calm the system down that way um but i'm I mean, I'm obviously not involved enough to be like studying numbers or looking at anything like you know numbers of lymphocytes and natural killer cells things like that. But I'm um, used to in my heyday. But but now um, no, it's it's more about sort of what can we do to just kind of calm you down during this scary process, which also seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Let's calm you down when the lines in the room. It's like oh, you know, it's it's very difficult for people to to reconcile. But um, yeah.
0: Well, I know we all are running out of time and I do want to plug in one last question um, from my side is, so say a patient takes an anti-inflammatory and they can measure it by the reduction of pain in their body. How do you measure a patient's well-being, Dr. Melanie? When is a patient, you know, ready to go on their own and all's well, you don't need therapy anymore, or you don't need the sessions anymore. How do you measure it?
2: Uh, you know, when people's when people are telling you they feel good, like they can smile, there's a calm, they're doing more things, they're, they're f- literally feeling when they're doing things and you actually see it. Like I always feel like, you know, people talk about auras and stuff like that, you know, but I feel, I always talk about sort of like the energy, like there's something that changes about people and there's a sense of control that develops. You know, and they say, I, I feel like I can do this and I feel like I've got enough tools and I feel like I can adapt to the different situations too so it's a whole it's a whole it's literally sort of how they present again it's what you hear them saying to you but also what they're telling you about what they can do and you'll find that people start saying oh I've I've started these lessons or I'm doing that or actually I'm going to the gym every day and now I finally enjoy it and you know there's more meaning there's more of a sense of almost like a an existential calm as such that they're, they're, they're kind of understood they are what's going on for them um so normally those kind of things as well as of course you know we'll do the the boring standard screenings you know and 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 maybe the numbers will be a bit reduced and, and we'll be a bit happy about that too but honestly generally it comes from comes from the feeling and um and i've got to say sometimes even with people that have higher numbers on questionnaires i mean they can still be very functional be kind of coping okay and as long as they can you know, they can learn how to contain that and then and sort of move on. It can be quite, quite appetitious. So, yeah.
1: Well, Dr. Can Melanie, be- I look, look forward to coming seeing you for a pep talk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not at this hospital, I hope, gosh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Melanie, uh, we would like to end this episode going back 22 years uh, in remembrance of your mom and my great memories uh, of her sending those beautiful, lovely messages. And I'm so happy we reconnected. Uh, she's on my mind today. So this is out to yeah. you. And um, thank you so much for your time. And um, we look forward to having many more sessions, as I could call it. Uh, with you on Wellabait Live. Thank you. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you, Dr. You, you,
1: you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, folks, that's the end of the show. And we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did.
0: Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, For more tips on how to elevate your life, you can reach out to us at relevate.life.